Our guest next up is Ko. He is giving an update on Seraphist development. Ko is the developer, the main developer of Seraphist, and he's going to go into detail on what Seraphist is, is all about. It's basically, I would say, uh, is, is this the going to be the largest up, kind of upgrade in Monero's history? Is it fair to say that? Yeah. Is this on? Yep. All right. So, Ko, take it away. Tell us all about it. All right. Today, I'm just planning to, I'm not going to discuss how Seraphist works. I'm going to focus on highlighting what has taken place in the last year since MoneroCon 2022. Okay, so here's just a brief, a brief recap of what's going on with Seraphist. It's a new transaction protocol that offers um, uh, the, the fundamental design supports better membership proofs, and it also enables transaction chaining where you have uh, a transaction can spend funds in a transaction that has not yet been added to the ledger. So this uh, has benefits for multisig and uh, like atomic swaps. And then we also have Jamtis to go along with Serapis. Jamtis is a new address scheme that evolves uh, beyond what CryptoNote gave us, uh, offering full balance recovery with a view wallet, as Justin discussed earlier today. And then um, we also uh, designed, it is designed to enable privacy optimized uh, remote assisted balance recovery. So uh, a light wallet that owns some of, some of, your, view, some of your key material uh, can speed up uh, scanning of a of like your local device uh, without compromising a, a, lot, a lot of information about your your balance. We also with Amptis uh, achieved random address generation. So, uh, CryptoNotes or the the sub addresses that were added to CryptoNote uh, were not designed in a way that allows you to recover the address index when you um, when you're when you're scanning the blockchain so you when you scan the blockchain and you discover an enote that you might own you have to match that enote against uh, a pre-computed table of sub addresses that might own enotes that might own your enotes so uh, you have to know that table in advance so if you can't have a if, if an you know is sent to a randomly generated sub address, then uh, how is that how is that sub address going to end up in your pre-computed table? For example, if you're recovering your balance from scratch, so say you discard all your all your records, uh, but Jamtist fixes this simply by uh, encrypting the index and sticking it in the in the you know. We also uh, solve some some relatively minor problems. We, we mitigate the Janus attack. We fix the burning bug, which plagues uh, multi-sig and other similar protocols. And uh, we were able to make index proofs, which I'll discuss more later about. So you can prove uh, what index your address was constructed from. And then we also have, uh, we also figured out how to provide forward secrecy against a DLP solver. So a discrete log problem solver, which means if a quantum computer becomes able to analyze the contents of the blockchain, then um, e constructed with Jamtis will, uh, a lot of the information in those e will be, uh, remain hidden from the, the, the quantum computer. But that's that's it's conditional on some uh, some some there's some requirements about whether or not so if, if you give some information to the quantum computer then it can unlock your whole balance so that's conditional forward secrecy. All right, so in the last year we made some improvements to Jamtis uh, relative to what I discussed a year ago. Um, so we. In the process of 
developing a new protocol, uh, it, it, I often felt like through the past like year and a half that I had, I'd, I'd solved the whole thing and there was nothing left to, to iterate on. But over time, I keep finding or I keep encountering new ideas and new problems that can be solved. And then I reach another point where I feel like, okay, it's all figured out now. So these are each of these things is a is one iterative step that kind of showed up in the in the past year. So the the burning bug was highlighted by Luke uh, as a as a problem that really should be solved if we can solve it. And we figured out that um, so the burning bug is is this situation where you can create multiple enotes and put them in the in the blockchain via transactions. And each of those enotes can look can be like identical, and which means you can only spend one of them. But during balance recovery, you're going to find all of the enotes that are duplicates. So, what can happen is, if your your wallet needs to keep track of all the duplicates, and make sure that you only think you have as much funds as uh, one of the duplicates. So if the duplicate with the highest amount, you can you can say, is the one you want to spend, and you want to ignore all the other ones. Otherwise, someone could send you a small amount with a, a duplicate enote address, and then if you spend that small amount, then all other enotes uh, will be unspendable, including the one with the highest amount, which you really do want to spend. So it's basically, it's kind of an attack vector where you can, your funds can be burnt. Um, if you're not careful enough, and this this is a, especially problematic for multi-sig protocols because um, when when funds are when a multi multi-sig wallet is transferring funds, you want to make sure that every single transfer uh, moves moves funds in exactly the way that you expect. So you, you never want a multi-sig to create duplicates because that could break the invariance of whatever protocol your, your multi-sig is involved in. And so we fixed the burning bug by simply um, baking a unique piece of information into the enote construction pro process. So whenever you construct an enote, you put some unique information in there so that when the enote is recovered, um, you will only successfully recover an enote if you use that unique piece of information and um, proceed through all the steps successfully. So you can never, re you can never, if two, if two enotes have duplicate addresses, then, uh, then one of them will, will never be discoverable because uh, since we are baking a unique piece of information into the construction process, uh, you, you essentially have to find a hash collision in order to create two duplicate you know, one-time addresses that can be recovered successfully using the process that includes the unique piece of information. And so the, the unique information we include is simply the the key images of the transaction in which the enote will be uh, inserted, or if you have a Coinbase transaction, it's the the block height of the of, of the block where the transaction will be um, found. So, uh, an important piece of uh, like a somewhat underrated piece of a cryptocurrency design is being able to create proofs about the transactions you've created and the enotes you've received so that you can uh, you can forget for example prove that you've paid a vendor some money and so that you, you can expect something in return if there's a if there's a conflict and so in the process of of thinking about these proofs for uh, for Seraphis and for Jamtest, I, I I realized that you can. One piece of information that might be useful is the index of an, of a Jamtest address. So, like a sub address has an index, 
a Jamtrust address has an index, uh, you, and you own a bunch, you own a, a large set of addresses, and each one has an index, and it might be useful to prove what the index is of a particular address. So uh, we made some modifications to Jamtrust to enable making those proofs. And then finally, um, there's been a lot of noise back and forth about the whether or not quantum adversaries will become problematic in the future. And so as part of that discussion, I realized that um, it, could be, it could be valuable to, or, or no, so one of the problems with quantum adversaries is they can look at the blockchain, which is uh, the security of, of cryptocurrencies today are, um, it, it, Assume, and it, it, with the assumption that the discrete log problem cannot be broken. Uh, but a quantum adversary can break the discrete log problem. So what, what kind of information will be exposed to a quantum adversary if, uh, if, they, if one appears? And so in the process of thinking about what information in Seraphis and Jamtus can be exposed, I realized that there are some there were some modifications that could be made to Jamtis to reduce the amount of information that could be exposed. And I don't think I talk about it more in this in this presentation, but if you want to know more than the uh, I wrote a companion paper to the Seraphis paper, which goes which discusses uh, implement how to implement Seraphis. And in that paper is a section on on the forward secrecy question. Right. So, another aside from features, when you're designing a protocol, it's also important to think about uh, how how performant are the changes you're making. Uh, so, in Jamtis, we've made a number of optimizations so that uh, when balance recovery is as fast as possible and as efficient as possible. Um, Another another thing to consider when so Jamtis is a is an addressing scheme with multiple private keys. So one question that comes up is what if what if so for example you have a there's a generate address key which you could give to someone to produce arbitrary addresses uh, for your your wallet. So for example a point of sale might have a, a generate address key that's used to produce new addresses for each each new sale. Uh, and another key is the find received key, which is used by the light wallet uh, uh, service to scan scan the chain without increase without with minimal uh, information leakage. But what happens if you combine the generate address and the find received key? We want to make sure that combining the doesn't increase, uh, doesn't doesn't produce an, a new wallet tier that is suddenly uh, more valuable than we we design into the protocol. So one 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 thing I added in the last year is this something called the unlock amounts, which ensures that combining. Um, Combining the generate address key and the find receive key doesn't let you unlock the amounts in eNotes. Um, we also specified the design of address tags. So address tags are the encrypted form of the index that's in your address. So you, you add this address tag to your address. It's attached to your address. And then, so the address tag is an encrypted form of the index. And then the address tag itself gets encrypted again and inserted into the e-note. When during balance recovery, you decrypt the address tag and then decipher, decipher it again to get the index out. And then you use that index uh, for the rest of the balance recovery process. And so we, we solidified that design to be a 16-byte index uh, with an additional two-byte two decipher hint the, the hint is used as an optimization technique. Uh, it's kind of like a, a filter between 
between steps in the balanced recovery process. So you compute this hint with a very cheap hash, and then if the hint isn't reproduced, then you can then you can abort the balanced recovery process and skip later steps in the process, which are more expensive. And we chose 16 bytes because it's a it's a standardized number of bytes for a robust random generation of, of indices without a risk of collisions. So I'll kind of skip over the two out transactions point because it's it's kind of a minutia about how so when, when you we, we have this optimization when you have a, a two out transaction uh, you only need one ephemeral key that can be shared between the two enotes and in all other cases you need in Jamtis you need a, an ephemeral key per enote that's output by a transaction and in order to implement this two out optimization in the presence of Jamtis addresses which uh, don't have any sh shared um, shared ephemeral base keys uh, it required some some finesse I guess and finally we for the elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman exchange which is the the starting point of balance recovery uh, encouraged encouraged us to instead of uh Hellman exchange uh between It turns out that using this 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 different curve, which is uh, um, very it's I don't know the right word for it. It's very analogous to Ed two five five one nine, leads to a, a substantial speed up because this curve is is highly optimized for this use case. But switching, so we switched curves for this one piece of balance recovery. But it doesn't affect anything else in transactions, uh, including the addresses. It's the ad, or Jamtis addresses themselves are still in Ed two five five one nine. And so Tevador implemented a, a library which I've been using to get to get the the speed up measurements here. Okay, so now we'll move on to development in the library. So I've been writing a library for Serapis. Um, which includes the protocol and then supporting details like balance recovery. Uh, to the to the protocol itself, we added a, a few or a, a, a few things have been implemented in the past year. So one of them is discretized fees. Uh, in the current or in as far as I know, in all cryptocurrencies, transaction fees are highly granular. So they are denominated in in the base. Uh, currency denomination. So, so it's your fee is in it is in XMR exactly. So you could have 0 0.013578 fee, or something completely different than that. So you basically you the number of possible fee values equals the total number of possible amounts that can exist in the currency. And the problem with this is that. When you select your fee, the 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 fee you select is is dependent on uh, the context, like your your current context. What is your priority? What is what are the what are the network conditions when you select this fee? So are 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 blocks being filled out, and you if you have high priority, so you need to outbid current transactions. So fees leak. Very precise or very high granularity fees leak very precise information about when you selected your fees 
and what software you use to select those fees. So the, the idea with discretized fees is to reduce the total number of possible fee values to a very small number. And then, and then any, and then very, very small, subtle variations in, in the, uh, uh, the context of, of around in which you select your fees will be um, kind of, they will be thrown away by the, by the lack of granularity in the fee values. And then, so also in the library, I implemented a legacy migration process so that allows you to spend legacy crypto node enotes in Seraphis transactions so that the transition process is completely seamless. And I also implemented the Seraphis Coinbase transaction type, which supports um, uh, Seraphis enotes for the outputs. So in terms of the library itself, these are just, these are just changes that affect the, like the user experience. I implemented an input selection solver, which is used for, so you say you, you want to transfer some amount of money, you need to pick inputs from the enotes that you own to spend. So I implemented a solver that picks those for you. Um, I also, so this, this, this middle point is really what took up the most time in the past year, the balance recovery framework, framework that allows you to scan the chain, find all the enotes you own, or um, identify when they are spent, uh, update your enote store with, with the statuses of all the enotes you own, including whether or not they're on the chain or in the transaction pool, um, and also be able to handle, with the balance recovery framework, handle reorgs that could arbitrarily uh, discard blocks that are in the chain. And it's kind of a fundamental and very like central piece of what a cryptocurrency does because the cryptocurrency is simply for transferring money and finding your money that you own is like the only thing that really you care about. So it, it, it occupies a huge amount of um, like background work to get that working properly. I also came up with this idea of, called of block ID checkpoints. So current, the current Monero wallet tracks uh, every single block ID for all the transactions or for all the blocks that, you, that that wallet has scanned. It keeps a record of each block ID so that the wallet can properly handle reorgs um, in future um, balance recovery processes. But the problem is, there are many, there are like, there are millions of blocks in the blockchain. So if you, if you store a block ID for each block, you can end up with many megabytes worth of simply of just block IDs in your wallet cache, which, uh, which seriously bloats wallet storage requirements. And so uh, with the collaboration of Ghostway, I implemented block ID checkpoints where you just, you only store a very small number of block IDs in your wallet. Uh, which like drastically reduces the size of your wallet. Uh, in, in the library, I implemented multisig for several pieces of multisig. So the current multisig implementation um, is not highly, highly portable. So I implemented um, a number, a number of improvements for, for the legacy piece. So since we're spending legacy enotes in surface transactions, uh, we also, multi-sig wallets also need to be able to spend legacy enotes in surface transactions. So, um, so I added this, something called a key image recovery ceremony. So legacy key images can, on, can only be computed if you know the uh, the spend key of your wallet, but multi-sig in multi-sig, no single person knows the spend key. So in order to acquire the key images of of legacy enotes with a multi-sig wallet, you need to all the group members need to collaborate in order to compute the key images. And so I right now the key images are recovered with a simple uh, sum of key shares, 
but that, that is not robust. So I implemented a, a robust key image recovery ceremony uh, for, so that that is more robust, yes. Um, I also implemented account transitions. So existing legacy multi-sig multi accounts wallets need to, in the future, be Seraphist multi-sig wallets. So I implemented a, a transition ceremony that the, the multi -sig, existing multi-sig groups can do to get, in order to acquire uh, Seraphist wallets that will continue to work as expected. Um, the current signing framework for multi-sig is something called round robin. So when you, um, when you initiate a transaction, you, you send the partial transaction around group members until you've collected a full signature. But if you have several group members, this can take a while and for the, uh, the, the messages to pro propagate through the chain of people. Uh, so I, instead, of, as an alternative to this, I implemented what's, what I call aggregation style signing, where you simply send out uh, a, a multi-sig transaction proposal, and then you get, um, and then all the group members send out uh, what are called signature openings, and then and then each group member responds to the signature openings of other of other members, and then that completes the signing procedure. So it's instead of O of N, it's O of one uh, rounds for signing. And so I implemented aggregation style signing for both legacy and surface proofs. So that includes CLSAG and composition, surface composition proofs. Um, but one advantage of the library I built is uh, the ability to robustly verify a multi-sig transaction proposal. So let's say someone proposes to spend, to make a multi-sig transaction, um, are all the enotes, are all the inputs to that transaction valid? Are all the, all the, is the, is the transaction proposal structured so, such that it can conceivably reach a real transaction. So there are no errors within the, within the proposal that would cause it to fail at some point in the, in the signing procedure. Um, so as part of the library, it's possible to fully validate multi-sig transaction pro proposals, which is not possible with the current library. Um, and so just like in summary, it's possible to make Seraphis multi-sig transactions that spend legacy and Seraphis funds as you'd expect. Okay, so now we can get into the Seraphis knowledge proofs. This is a this is basically this is a what I call an audit framework or a knowledge proof framework. So these are all the proofs that you can write or or construct with Seraphis and Jamtis about about the enotes you own and about the transactions you've spent. So we've got uh, address ownership proof, we've got address index proof, um, you've got whether or not you own an enote, the amounts in enotes, uh, whether or not a key image was produced from a specific enote, whether an enote is not spent in the, in the, trans, in the blockchain. And this is significant because it lets you avoid exposing the key image of of an enote that you want to prove is unspent. So what you can't, what you could do is simply make an, a key image proof and then the, the key image will indicate whether or not the enote is spent. But now in the future, whoever you gave the, 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 the image proof, to, the enote image proof to, will be able to use that key image to identify, identify when the enote is spent. So there's no, it's, a, it's like a permanent proof, but an unspent proof occurs for only the transactions that you reference in the proof. So when ring sizes are small, you can reference, or for, for an un, you can make an unspent proof for every transaction that references your enote in an input ring signature. And so if, you've, if you make an unspent proof about all of those transactions, then the verifier of the proofs will know that the enote is uh, that you that you presumably have proved ownership of is unspent. 
Um, you can also make a transaction funded proof, which proves that you own an e-note that was spent by a transaction uh, without exposing the e-note that was spent or the input amount. So, which may be useful, I guess. We also have the e-note sent proof, which, which proves that uh, an e-note is owned by an address and has a specific amount. And actually, an e-note send proof is, is just uh, an ownership proof and an amount proof combined together. And so to wrap it up, we have a reserved e-note proof and a reserved proof. So a reserved e-note proof proves that an e-note is owned by you and is unspent on chain. And then a reserved proof is a collection of reserved e-note proofs uh, that prove you have a certain amount, total amount owned a total amount of funds owned at a specific moment in time when you make the proof. After the proof is made, uh, it could become invalid because of the, the e-notes that were referenced in the proof were become spent. All right, so now we can get on to, so that was all the stuff I did in the past year. Now we can talk about what's, what's to come. So, in, so Seraphis is basically done. The, law, the library is at a point it's fairly stable. There may be some minor changes to, to come related to the transaction extra uh, field. The, it's basically a wallet or the transaction memo field. Um, but otherwise, the, the library is done. I have the pa I updated the paper draft. I added an implementing surface paper, which is a companion paper that discusses jam tests. And other than that, other than uh, giving security proofs to those papers and reviewing the code. Uh, what we really need next is wallets built using the library. Uh, so multi-sig multi wallets, normal wallets, hardware wallets, uh, uh, light wallets, and so on. Another thing in the future, something I call, uh, it's not specific to Seraphis, but something that I'm hoping we can incorporate is uh, a fee estimator. So. In, in Monero, the current, when you select a transaction fee, uh, you take the, the minimum fee and then you add some multiplier to it. I think it's one, two, or four, or and something like that. But this is very, uh, it's very imprecise, so it's, it doesn't really take into account, uh, or it doesn't facilitate a bidding mechanism for transaction space because you can, uh, you could write an alternative wallet that ignores the fee multipliers and, and like one, one ups the, the de default multiplier or priority system. Anyway, so a fee estimator would simply would incorporate recent transaction volume to uh, estimate the the amount of blocks that would, would be required or the estimated confirmation time given a, a certain fee that you might use. And then that can be, you can, you can include your, uh, your, your priority, how, when do you want your transaction to be mined into that calculus. So it's kind of sort of a piece of technology that should be built. For Monero research, we're, we've been discussing transaction extra optimizations. There are a couple options. We have, we have quite a lot of enthusiasm for completely eliminating the field. We also have enthusiasm for um, changing the field from an arbitrary length, arbitrary content field to a fixed sized field that the wallet would encrypt by default, uh, which would improve the privacy attributes of that field significantly. Um, in, from, from a cryptography point of view, the range proofs and the mem membership proofs are always open to optimization. So uh, we, we've been looking at bulletproofs plus plus, and then there's a, there was a new proposal called con uh, a constant size range proof that was proposed that are being looked at to speed up and reduce the size of range proofs. And also there's ongoing research into um, like zero knowledge membership proofs that allow you to reference all the e-notes on the chain 
and then we can stop worrying about ring signatures so much. So here's what I plan to work on in the future. This first point is, so right, so the surface papers need security proofs and I can't do that, so I'm going to be looking for assistance on, those, on that task. Uh, since the surface library is at a stable point, I'm planning to support the wallet development, although I probably won't be a, a core, contributor, core contributor to that effort. Um, I also want to, uh, I have the uh, design in mind for uh, an efficient escrowed market uh, using two of three multi-sig, which, so efficient means uh, seamless, which means the, the, the steps that a vendor and a buyer need to take are not, um, all the cryptography and math in the background is invisible to those, those parties. So they, they interact in a sequence that makes sense to them without any additional steps um, in order to send, send key material back and forth, uh, which might break the, the, the user flow, I guess. And so for MoneroCon 23, I plan to uh, sketch out the, the protocol, which uses a lot of uh, unorthodox optimizations in multi-sig account setup and signing. And then eventually I'll, I'll build a rough demo in C++ to, uh, to show how that all fits together. And finally, uh, I, I might someday write a, a whole write-up about multi-sig because there's there's been a lot of a lot of design uh, iteration in the past in the past years since uh, prior Monero Research Lab publications on that subject. All right, so that's the end of what I had to talk about today. Um, the papers can be found up on my GitHub. Uh, I wrote a design overview. If you want to look at what actually what's what's all in the Seraphis proposal uh, more cleanly than this presentation can do. I use bit.ly's for to hopefully make them uh, typable. And then of course there's Jamtis, which is also now duplicated in the implementing Seraphis paper, which is also at that, at that GitHub link. And then uh, another final note, Tevador designed some URI schemes for Jamtis, which may be of interest to people involved in uh, merchant technology, merchant-related technology. Yeah. Questions? Yeah. Does anyone have any questions for Co? First of all, uh, great work on this technology. Uh, sorry. Uh, I have a more general question. Uh, yesterday was uh, brought a topic about uh, influence of uh, developers on decision-making process in the uh, blockchain projects. And uh, my question is, um, there is a different project. And uh, for example, in some projects, uh, developers just simply make decisions. As, as, uh, the project is supposed to be decentralized, but the developers have too much power over this. And um, as opposite uh, in, a, in other projects, for example, like uh, uh, Bitcoin itself, uh, there is a really hard to find consensus between the big uh, community of developers. And they have uh, problems like they cannot make decision about some stuff like uh, replaced by a fee feature should be enabled or disabled. So they uh, sometimes they have uh, problems to move forward with some technologies. And uh, my question is, how do you see the future of Monero? How uh, strong should be impact of the uh, developers on decision-making process? Uh, what is your vision on this? Uh, I think in the long term, our goal should be to minimize the impact or minimize how many decisions can be made um, and how often those decisions are made simply because um, in the long run, there's no guarantee that people 
involved in the project in the future will have the same commitment to ideals as existing project members or that um, even if the commitment is there that the decisions will always be um, good decisions. So I think the fewer decisions that are made, the better, which is kind of kind of why I've gone so all out on this project, the Serapis project, to try to solve as many many problems as possible so that in the future, fewer decisions have to be made. Um, I think that uh, decision-making itself is a very, very difficult question with no, there's no concrete or small answer that can be made to it. It kind of happens uh, as a, it emerges from the people involved in the project. Uh, the personalities and the, the, uh, the precedences, the precedents that have been set and how prior decisions were, were made and um, the amount of energy that people bring to different discussions. It kind of all melts together. And I think that's, it's powerful and it's also dangerous because it's so amorphous. Yeah, that's what I got to say. Any other questions? Come on up. Hi, Corey. It's uh, Ruben. Nice to meet you finally in Hi. the flesh. Uh, just a very general question. Um, has, are you, I haven't been really following like Seraphis, how it's been received by the community. Obviously, I think everyone's excited about it. But are there any like points that people are worried about? Is there any, is there any side that's saying like, you know, let's not go through with Seraphis or they have concerns about it? Or is that everyone's like quite aligned in that regard? So I think there are a couple points of concern. So one one concern is that uh, moving to a new address scheme is a significant breaking change for the whole ecosystem. And so it really begs the question, is it really, really worthwhile to make such a huge breaking change? Um, another concern that's been raised is whether or not Seraph is, is the right, like, overall direction that the project should be going in are there maybe maybe by investing so much in Seraphis we could be um, blind to other paths which is which i consider like kind of speculative uh, concern but it, it is a concern that we have to keep in mind and not not be too fixated on one solution um, i'm not aware of any other specific criticism that have been raised, but I might not be paying enough attention. So if there are criticisms, make them loudly heard so that I don't lose track. If there's any other questions, please come up. Hi, Corey. Uh, nice work and uh, lots, lots of have been done. Uh, so congrats on that. Uh, I would like to ask you about their, uh, you mentioned it's uh, future secrecy and forward secrecy. Yeah. And about the quantum quantum DLP solar. So uh, is it correct that uh, in surface you solve this issue and is, is I understand it correctly, was it difficult? And can you like a little bit elaborate on that? Thank you. Um, it was actually not, not that difficult. So, uh, Peterson commitments al already have this property because they're perfectly hiding. So we, we can just adopt this perfectly hiding principle to the address scheme itself so that, um, uh, even if you get the discre discrete log of the the components of an address, so so an address has three, is composed of three generators, and then there's, so there's three keys attached to each of those generators, and so if each of those keys is exposed to the DLP solver, how much information do they get from knowing those pieces of information? And so, if each of the pieces of information is perfectly has a perfectly hiding component to it, then um, 
then no inf no no information about other like about your your wallet in general or maybe the amount in the in a transaction will be exposed. So the mathematical details really have to look at the paper, but it's really about um, knowing that piece of information will be or would be exposed to the DLP solver and then making sure that those pieces of information um, don't directly expose like your private keys. So you see so you'd have like a private key plus a mask plus another mask and stuff like that. Um, you talked about potentially moving to a global anonymity set after Seraphis. Um, how important do you think that is? Do you see that as a threat as other projects are doing that? Um, yeah. I think it's a, in the long term, it's a critical advancement that needs to happen. Um, I think that to get there, we have to take it step by step and not make um, overly ambitious make overly ambitious moves that we're not confident are the right choices uh, because I mean for example Zcash was really gung-ho about their their global anonymity set and then they had to start out with a trusted setup but we don't want to we don't want to jump into something that we're not that doesn't align with our uh, with the project goals and commitments I just wanted some clarification on the quantum resistance. It, it doesn't apply to the membership proofs, right? Uh, as far as I know, it does not. It does not uh, expose anything about the membership proof. So, the, the 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 forward secrecy is kind of like I believe that it has forward secrecy, but it really needs a rigorous proof. So, there should be no information exposed for people whose addresses are completely unknown to the DLP solver. Uh, one question, this is from Sarang. He's like asking, where can you find all the, all the, all the different proofs? Oh, my God. Uh, oh the knowledge proofs? Uh, I did a write-up. It's, uh, it's in one of the Seraphis papers. So it's in the implementing Seraphis paper on, at, the, at my GitHub. So the, both papers are at that GitHub link. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's all in there. Any other burning questions? Come on up. Hey, um, have decisions been made yet about the ring size that you want to move to, or is that still in flux? It's it hasn't been settled, but I've kind of I've been talking about a, a ring size of 128, which has similar performance attributes to what we have right now with 16. Anyone else? I, I do. I do kind of think that if we if we could get a better range proof, then it it might be justifiable to bump that up to two fifty six. But that's just personal, and there's not like a lot of enthusiasm about that. So after this, we're coming up on a break. But I do actually have one question for you, sir. All right. After working on such an enormous change to such a large project. Any advice for future large projects? Anything that you have learned that you would like to pass on to other developers, other project managers, people who might be looking to fund a larger project, what they should be looking for to know it will be successful in the future? That is an extremely hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to. That's a really hard one. I'd say only only pursue a really big project if it has a really big impact on the on the actual like properties of your system. So with with Surface, we're getting significantly better membership proofs. Uh, I designed Surface or the, I originally came up with the idea for Seraphis because I was trying to figure out how we could achieve global membership groups. So Seraphis 
is um, is aimed at global membership groups. And uh, we've actually made progress on discussing global membership groups because Seraphis, it, the design of Seraphis uh, is really um, calibrated to that uh, design space of membership groups. Uh, Jamtis is a significant improvement for uh, view wallets, which are some people are don't find valuable, but are really valuable for a large component of the ecosystem. So that's what that's what I would say. But there's probably more to be said about that subject for sure. All right, we're going to take one more question and then we're going to have a short lunch. It's only going to be a half hour long. Co, thank you for speaking today. It's uh, I wanted to congratulate you on all your work and uh, it's really inspiring to see the way you've uh, dove head in. And I know you didn't have all the answers uh, when designing Seraphis and we're open to feedback and it was great to see how um, people in the community could collaborate on such a huge undertaking. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know you came from MobileCoin uh, initially, that that was your um, entry point into Monero. I was with Monero before MobileCoin. Oh. I wrote zero to Monero too, and then I worked with MobileCoin. Where do you see that project now? Are, is, that, is anything going on there that we should be looking at um, I've in terms been, of technology? I've not been uh, looking at MobileCoin recently, so I couldn't really comment on that. Okay, thank you. Gianic with the piercing questions as always. Um, all right, I think we're gonna, I think we'll wrap it up there. Let's all give it up for Co. Thank you, man. That was that was amazing.